This Brewery Pro episode of BrewCon Replay is proudly presented by the Independent Brewers Association. Do you want to tap into the potential of your brewery? Then don't miss BrewCon 2023, where you will hear from a range of presenters, see new resources, share an up-to-date research and more. Purchase your BrewCon 2023 tickets today at iba.org.au. Maria Pierman is a certified public accountant who provides accounting expertise and a deep operational knowledge to the alcohol beverage industry. She teaches finance and accounting for the Craft Brewer, is currently in the University of Vermont's Business of Craft Beer program and previously at Portland State University's Business of Craft Brewing program. I think she likes craft beer. Am I right, Maria? <laughs> Her book, Small Brewery Finance, Accounting Principles and Planning for the Craft Brewer, is being published by the Brewers Association this autumn. Maria's specialties include brewery-specific ma uh, manufacturing, software, finance, cost accounting, budgeting, tax accounting, tax planning and provisions, and financial projections. So let's give Maria a very Australian warm welcome, Maria Pierman. Thank you. Good. So I just got in on Saturday and I'm, I'm sort of acclimated. I'm kind of getting over my jet lag, but still in the phase of waking up at three in the morning and then doing some work and going back to sleep for a couple hours. So uh, I hope that I'm mentally clear enough to give a good presentation. But um, thanks for having me. It's really a treat to, to come here. I've never been to Australia before, so uh, I've always been intrigued by the country. So it's a great opportunity to visit and see another place and learn how another country's industry is developing. Um, so uh, as mentioned, I'm a CPA and I specialize in alcohol beverage and, and craft beer. Um, all of the companies that I work with in the beer industry are craft in nature or independent in nature. Um, so my sort of sweet spot for clients that I work with is probably somewhere between five to $20 million in revenue. Uh, US dollars in revenue. And so from a production standpoint, that might be, oh, I don't know, maybe 8,000 to 40,000 barrels in production, something around that, that, um, that frame. Um, I, I have experience with clients all the way through the entire life cycle, but uh, that's kind of my sweet spot. So I just wanted to give you some context into where I'm coming from. Um, I have clients all over the US and also in, in other countries as well, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Canada. Uh, so in terms of the US market, definitely deep experience there. And I um, am keen to watch what's going on in other parts of the world also. So hopefully I'll be able to give you some information that's helpful for you. Um, so we're talking about the importance of costing with your beer. And the reason why this is a, a topic that I'm really passionate about is because it, it has to do with how you're measuring the cost of goods sold. And at least in the US, it is just the wild west for what people are dumping into the cogs or what they're not considering in cogs. And uh, so it makes it very difficult to determine how your business is performing relative to others because you're usually not looking at an apples to apples comparison. 
So it's, uh, it's a personal point of passion of mine to help people understand a common way to measure their COGS. Not only is it helpful for you, and it's imperative to, to learn that for the health of your business, but if everybody can start to measure things in the same way, there will be greater comparability in the data among uh, you and your peers. So uh, today in the craft world, in the business of beer, it's more important than ever to have your numbers straight for these reasons. There's market forces, increased competition, and of course, you guys have seen that. You've had 500 new breweries open in the last, what is it, five years, something like that? So huge uh, growth in terms of the producers. We're also experiencing the same thing in the US. Uh, maybe a slightly slower growth rate, but still, you know, we're now at over 7,000 craft breweries. And just 10 years ago, it was about 1,000. So huge growth there. Uh, that means more choices for the consumer and the price ceiling that results in that. Um, you know, you really are getting to a point where there's only so much that people are willing to pay for your beer. It creates a price ceiling. And uh, the same shelf space with more brands. So how will you be able to stand out when there's limited real estate and you really need to cut through the clutter and make your, your uh, brand and your voice visible and appealing? Distributor consolidation is something that is uh, unique more to the U.S. market than here because we have a three-tier system. Most of you are probably aware of this, but um, in our neck of the woods, you are limited in how you can operate. You can either be a uh, producer, a retailer, or a distributor, and you can only be one of those three things, which you know has, has its, its issues. Uh, there are also issues in a country like Australia where you don't have that same three-tier system, but then, you know, the market forces are harder to penetrate and get through to the customer base. So there's issues in the distribution and the go-to-market channels for all of us. Fickle consumers, um, consumers are wanting much, uh, much wider range of products. If you look at the number of styles of beers that are on offer, it's growing rapidly and the consumer taste is changing and the fads are going quicker. So how do you compete in a market like that? And then uh, challenging access to retailers. I'm not sure what the buying process is like in Australia, but for example, in the US, if you want to get into a grocery store situation, it has shifted over the last seven years where, you know, seven years ago, you might have one buyer who is in charge of five to 10 stores now you have one buyer who is in charge of hundreds of stores that cover a large swath of the West Coast, for example. So how do you get in and get FaceTime with that one buyer? It's, you know, it's harder the smaller you are to grab that attention. And I also am going to just give a little caveat that I'm working off of a, a version of this that is a little bit different. I wasn't expecting this format. So there might be slight tweaks, but I think, I think the information will be consistent. So if I say something that doesn't exactly line up, that's, that's why. So a couple things that I want to go over is uh, how you measure excise tax. Oh, yeah, this looks good. Okay. So um, 
I'm going to get pretty detailed in some of the information, and this is, this is one of those instances. But for the small producers or maybe the younger brewers in the room, I think it's important to understand how you account for excise tax because that is such a huge issue in this country. It's a really big tax. So I just wanted to, to impress upon you the way you account for it. You're going to have your revenue, which is you know, the total gross price at which you sell your beer. And then excise tax is going to be below that uh, as, as a contra revenue account is what we call that. So, and then you're also going to have any sales discounts if that applies. And then the bottom line is considered net revenue. So um, this is different than in other countries where excise tax is actually considered part of your cost of goods sold. But in Australia, you're going to consider it part of your revenue as a contra revenue account. So it almost kind of comes off the top before you start to consider things like you know, what is my margin, what is my percentage of, of COGS versus revenue. So when you measure your percentage of COGS, you're really measuring that against net revenue as opposed to gross revenue. And then cost of goods sold, uh, I was mentioning that it is kind of the wild west in terms of what people put into that. Um, one big step forward is that the Brewers Association in the U.S. has issued a cost of goods sold manual, and that just got published last year. So um, I don't believe the IBA has anything similar. If you're looking for guidance, this is a great place to start because at least it gives you some consistent best practices. So I, I put the link up here, and the information, the slides will be available uh, later. But the, if, you, if you haven't gone and looked at the cost of goods sold manual, and if you are in charge of the finance function in your organization, I highly recommend that you read it because it really gives you not only good information about what things go into COGS, but also it gives you information on how to do things like a proper inventory count. And you think that's simple, but it is absolutely astonishing how frequently people mess up their inventory count, and if they just followed a few best practices, it would go a lot smoother. I'm not going to cover the, the inventory count practices and kind of the best practices, but I will go into what goes into COGS. So uh, the, the COGS manual it provides a common framework for what you need to put into there. Um, it's for technical and non-technical people in an organization. So it's written for both your accountants, but it's also written in a way that anybody on staff, regardless of their background, can uh, make use of it. Uh, so what is in COGS? Raw materials and additives, obviously that's a given. Production, labor, alcohol tax, excise tax, manufacturing overhead, and depreciation. So production labor, and I'll go into detail in a few slides over, but a lot of people will end up uh, simply booking their, their labor sort of below the line, and the line being gross margin. So you've got net revenue, cost of goods sold, and gross margin, operating expenses, net income. So a lot of uh, breweries will just lump their entire payroll into operating expenses, but that's really not correct. You should be breaking out the part that's related to production and putting that up in the COG section. Um, the way you do that is how it's, it's 
here I go getting pretty detail-oriented, but you really should uh, be booking your payroll not necessarily by what hits the bank account, but instead by uh, the reports that are given to you from your payroll company. So a lot of people will go into Zero and they will book their payroll entry. There's, there's usually two entries that come out, one for the net pay, one for the taxes associated with that, and it just goes to payroll and you think you're done. But I, I encourage you to instead create a journal entry and everybody in your organization should be assigned to a department. So when you get your reports from your, from your uh, payroll company, you should take all the labor that's associated with production and that's gonna be mapped to a COGS labor account. And then the other payroll, I, ideally you'll have a sales and marketing department, you'll have a general admin department. That stuff goes in operating expenses. Uh, okay, alcohol tax. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of speaking out of both sides of my mouth here, and this is one of those instances where um, I had updated the slide for this audience, but uh, didn't quite make it here. So if you will, mentally, just kind of mark out the alcohol tax goes in COGS here because we just discussed that it actually is a contra revenue account. Got it? Uh, manufacturing overhead. So the idea for this is that there are parts of your operating expenses like rent and insurance and utilities that are cost of goods. You wouldn't be incurring this cost if you weren't making beer. Your water bill as a prime example. Water is a main ingredient of beer and uh, it, it's, it is disingenuous, I guess is a good word. It's disingenuous to consider that not to be a part of COGS. So you need to account for that. Uh, and again, the way that you do that is a little, it's a little sort of accounting 102 instead of 101. But to give you the, the quick rundown of it, basically you're gonna book your uh, elements of overhead. So it'll be rent, it'll be you know water, insurance, anything that's applicable. And then you'll need to figure out what portion of that is considered cost of goods. So there are gonna be different cost drivers for each element. Rent, for example, might be driven off of square footage of your facility. So if you have a brew pub and a production facility and they share space and it's 50-50, then you're going to take the rent, divide it 50-50. Maybe you carve out a little bit for admin, but you're going to split that up between your brew pub, your admin, and your production facility. And the production rent is part of COGS. So it gets a little advanced, but in, in general, that's the theory of how you allocate your overhead up into your COGS. Depreciation. Uh, is everybody familiar with the term depreciation and what that means? Yeah, it's the, you know, every fixed asset that you have has a useful life and then as you go through that useful life, you, you take a portion of the historical cost and expense it. So the best way to do this is that you divide up your assets between those that are related to production and those that are just office things or maybe their brew pub equipment or whatever, things that aren't production related. So the production related depreciation should be uh, recorded as a COGS as well. So, you know, as I'm talking through this and the mechanics of it, it really isn't rocket science, but it is, it's not rocket science, but it does take more organization, I guess is the best is the best uh, way to put it. It takes more effort. And I think that a lot of brewers, especially those that are maybe early stage or they're small producers, it just, the, the financials don't really follow best practices because the organization is set up in such a way that maybe the founder is doing everything 
and uh, it's just not worth the trouble. They've got a hundred other things on their list that they need to get to. So I understand that, and I understand why we end up in a situation where when you look at a company's report of COGS, it's absolute garbage. I get it. But here's the thing, is that in today's environment, when everything is just getting more and more competitive, you can't afford to ignore this. I mean, if you want a company that's going to sustain, and if you want any chance of growing, you, you can't ignore the holes in the boat, so to speak. And, you know, I, I think back to where we were in the U.S. even five years ago, and any idiot and his brother could open a brewery and do okay. And now, as things are tightening up, you, you really have to be sharp. So without this information, business owners are really at a loss to make good business decisions. So um, that's, that's kind of a, an overview of what goes into COGS. And then this is a detailed list of types of expenses and then whether or not they belong in COGS. And you know, to give credit where credit is due, this is coming from that BA COGS manual. So I highly encourage you again to go back and, and uh, look at that. But anyway, just to go through these, and I'll get my paper because my eyes are too bad to see that. Uh, okay, so materials, raw materials, packaging, freight in, and any taxes on goods that you purchase. Uh, those are all things that are going to be included in COGS. I think the only tricky one that might be a little counterintuitive here is the freight in. Um, sometimes that can be difficult to capture depending on what your accounting system is. Obviously, the more sophisticated your accounting system or inventory management system, the easier it will be to get good data there. Uh, let's go down to the second section, which is labor. And when I say labor, I mean the wage, I mean any tax associated with that, and also any benefits. So if you're offering retirement plans, health care, et cetera, et cetera, that gets fully baked in there. So brewers and cellarmen, packaging, maintenance and engineering, warehouse, director of operations, lab quality control, those are all included in COGS. Then there's things that don't go in COGS, such as sales and marketing, any IT and HR, tap room or brew pub personnel, admin, and officer. So the admin, or sorry, not the admin, the officer, that's a little you know, up for debate because certainly an officer spends a portion of his or her time on the operations, on the production side, directing that. Uh, but the reason why it's put down here as not a part of COGS is that this is kind of a best practice for um, you know, if you have to say one way or another, I'd say best practice is to leave it out of COGS because more likely than not, the majority of that officer's compensation is uh, going to go, the majority of it is going to go to things that are not necessarily production related. Elements of overhead. So rent, utilities, we talked about that. Uh, Excise tax, that's actually, that's not correct. That should be just regular income tax. My apologies. Income tax is not part of COGS. Insurance, or wait, hang on. <laughs> Back up. I was confusing myself as to whether I was talking in or out of COGS. Let's go, what goes in COGS? Rent, utilities, the portion that's related to production does go in COGS. Excise tax, in COGS. 
So insurance, if you have uh, types of insurance that insure you against, you know, disruption of operations or uh, product-related insurance, if, if cans start exploding on shelves and that type of thing. So it depends on what the insurance is insuring you for, but that related to production does go in COGS. If you have to dump product, it just turns out bad, or if you have to take product back because it's out of code, that's going to be a COGS. Uh, vendor returns, same, same situation. If you have to, if you're in a situation where you have to take product back from vendors and then you dispose of it, that's a COG. Depreciation on production equipment, we discussed. Memberships and subscriptions. So what I mean by this is things like uh, inventory management software subscriptions, uh, that type of thing, or um, any other subscription-based uh, use of a, of a tool or of a software that you use in production. Brewery supplies, repairs and maintenance, uh, your te test beer batch costs, that's also a COG. Pallets and process improvements. And, and one note about process improvements, uh, you do need to be cognizant of whether or not the, the expense should be capitalized or not. So for example, you might purchase a keg washer, that's a process improvement, but a keg washer is a capital asset, so it's, it's going to go on the balance sheet, not on the income statement as part of fixed assets. But uh, that's, that's kind of an overarching list of the other expenses that go into COGS. So um, another point that I think can be muddy for small producers or early stage producers, especially if they don't have a business or accounting background, is this concept of um, taking your purchases of raw ingredients and then turning it into a finished good and then how it becomes a cost of goods sold. So I wanted to walk through that and hopefully use a visual that might make it pretty clear, I, I hope. Um, so the purchasing of raw materials, it's an asset. So if I go out and I buy grain, I'm purchasing an asset and it sits on my balance sheet as inventory. And then the process of this, I'm going to take my materials, I'm going to take my labor and any kind of overhead and that all comes together and you know the brewing process, you move it along and then it becomes a work in process. So work in process will be anything between you know, your initial boil until it's actually done and a finished product that you're kegging off or, or packaging. So that whole process, those purchases and those elements of labor and overhead, they are actually assets and they stay going through uh, the working process until you actually create a finished good. And it's only the point when you actually sell your goods that that becomes an expense as cost of goods sold. So. Uh, the next slide kind of talks through the same thing. Direct labor and a portion of overhead is also allocated to the cost of inventory. And I talked about the mechanics of that earlier, but uh, basically you need to separate out and do a journal entry to move some of your overhead up into an inventory asset, to move some of your labor up into an inventory asset instead of an expense. And then you carry that through the process and then at the end it becomes cost of goods sold. If you're using a system like Xero or QuickBooks or uh, you know some just basic accounting package, this can be cumbersome, and you really it is you know it kind of takes a while to wrap your head around what you're doing. As you start to graduate and use uh, sophisticated software for for your business, it uh, a lot of these softwares have this mechanism built in, so. 
the more, it's kind of a trade-off. If you're going to pay more for your, your software, it'll do more for you and it makes your job easier. Uh, if you're using a less advanced software, then there's more manual part on your end. And then this is another way of looking at how the costs travel through your financial accounts. So what we have here uh, is T accounts. Does that, that terminology mean anything to you guys? Do you guys know T accounts? No? Okay. Well, it's an accounting thing. It's like one of those accounting 101 things, and it's a visual representation of um, how you can think about uh, when an account goes up and when it goes down. So each account has a column on the left and a column on the right, and the left represents debits, which is in general, um, in terms of assets or expenses, that means it goes up. And the column on the left is credits, which means it goes down. So that's, I'll, I'll try to cut it off right there. But anyway, uh, this is kind of a visual representation of how it moves through the accounts. So first you've got your raw materials, direct labor, applied overhead. That all goes in together and becomes work in process. And then when you exit the work in process, uh, the work in process, part of the, the process. It becomes cost of goods manufactured. And work in process becomes finished goods. These are both balance sheet accounts. And then finally, only when the finished good actually transfers out of your hands and you sell it, that's when this becomes a cost of goods sold. So I really wanted to um, you know, give you a couple ways to look at it to hopefully help you understand the costing and that when you purchase your, your hops or your malts or whatever your core ingredients are, that's not an expense. It doesn't go on the income statement right away. It has a whole life cycle to get through before it goes on the income statement. So um, that is, is just a bit about you know, how to account for these things and, and what goes into your COGS. But what do you do with the information? And it's really critical that brewers and managers of breweries uh, go through a consistent review process of your data. So it's really important that you cut the data in many ways so that you can get actionable items. If you um, have, say, an August 2019 income statement and balance sheet, that only shows your overarching performance for the entire enterprise, regardless of if you're a production facility and a brew pub, or um, if it's just kind of one set of numbers, it's not good enough. I really think that, especially considering the competitive environment, you have to slice the data in ways that make it relevant and actionable for you. So certain ways you can look at this is there's a standard report, which is kind of just the the 10,000 foot view of this is how you did, and you'll have revenue, COGS, operating expenses, net income. But it's important to also look at budget versus actual. If you don't do a budget, I would highly recommend that you start to pick that up. It doesn't have to be perfect, don't stress about it, but just putting something down on paper that you think through is really helpful because when you look at actual numbers versus budget, you can see the variances, you can start to ask the questions of why didn't I hit my budget, and then you can take action on that. And the answer might be, well, I didn't hit my number because I didn't understand the process well enough, but, and, and, and what I mean by that is like, therefore my budget was wrong, but at least that's a learning process and the next time you go through it, you'll do it better. So budget versus actual, um, period over period. So this would be you know, August of 19 versus July of 19 or August of 19 versus August of 18, that type of, of comparison. Income by revenue center 
is, uh, you know, if you have a, a brew pub or a tap room and then you've got a production facility where you sell wholesale, it's really important to separate out those activities because you're running two vastly different businesses. A brew pub is like a restaurant and a wholesale endeavor has, I mean, there are whole different metrics that apply to that. So if you just add them all together and you don't separate it out, you can't tell apples, apples to apples. You have no idea, you know, what the performance is looking like. Income statement by leader. This is taking your performance. So again, if you go back to the idea of the August 2019 data, you want to take that information and you basically divide everything by your sales per liter in the month and you come up with, with income by liter. And that just helps um, break the numbers down and it gets a little more digestible. It gets a little more relevant for you and kind of gives you another way to think about the data where, uh, you know, if you're, if you're if you leave the information and then two weeks later you're doing something and you realize, you know, I can tell that my labor for this, for, for this uh, beer is outsized, like, it just helps give you a frame of reference so that you might be able to take action more quickly while you're in the moment. And then the income statement with a percentage of revenue, this is the idea that you're going to look at COGS and, you know, you'll see COGS is 60% of revenue, gross margin is 40% of revenue, uh, net income is 10%, labor is whatever. It, it, it just gives you uh, an easier way to react to things as opposed to discrete numbers. So we're going to look at examples of these. This is a collapsed comparative income statement. Um, when I say income statement, that's the same thing as profit and loss, P&L, it's all synonymous. So here you've got budget versus actual, and then we also dice it three different ways. So first you've got your uh, month of August versus month of August that was budgeted and any variance. And then if you go on to the middle column, you've got your year-to-date actual versus the year-to-date that was budgeted in the variance. And then finally, you've got your fiscal year forecast versus the fiscal year forecast that was budgeted and the variance. So you can see how looking at the information in these three different ways is much more powerful than if you just had that first actual column. If you only look at the actual results, it's, it's like meaningless, it's in a vacuum. And you really can't react and make judgments about performance unless you've got this comparative landscape. So slicing is a, is a good way to look at uh, different factors at play. Uh, the next slide that I wanted to show you is the income per liter. Um, this is where it, you know, you can make it a little more digestible because you're looking at it on a per unit basis. Um, over time, you'll see the effect of scale on this. So if you are a really small producer, you might uh, notice that your income per liter is much less today than maybe it is five years later because economies of scale are at play if you're following a traditional growth curve. Uh, but that's kind of an exciting way to look at the information when you start to see that the income per liter is starting to shift because of your practices and the scale of your business. So here um, you can see, you know, our revenue per liter is $5.81. We've got our columns set up the same way, month, year-to-date, fiscal year forecast, but it's just in a more bite-sized, relevant way of looking at it. And then expense categories as a percentage of revenue. So this is uh, the other piece that I was talking about, looking at it as a percentage of revenue. So here you can see um, 
what we don't have is the total revenue up top because total revenue is always going to be 100%. You're always basing these percentages off of that 100% of revenue. But you've got your sales discounts, and then we go in and look at what is COGS relative to revenue, et cetera, et cetera. So helpful to understand, you know, if, if I look down at August and my actual EBITDA is 15.9%, but um, uh, I budgeted, so I'm missing the word budget up here, but if I budgeted for August 8.1% and I'm 7.8 points up from what I budgeted, that's a massive change. So, you know, as a business owner, you're going to question that, even though it's a positive result, you're going to question that. And the purpose of questioning is like just understanding why there's a variance. It doesn't have to be a judgmental thing, but you do need to be able to understand it so that you can take action on it. And then income statement by revenue center. Um, and I'll get into a little bit more on the theory of this in the next couple slides, but since we were sort of in uh, charts and graphs land, I wanted to put it here. But this is the idea of, again, if you have a brewery and a brew pub that operate simultaneously in the same space, same entity, you really should be looking at those as discrete business centers and measuring their performance at an arm's length basis. So if you have this situation where you're a production facility and you also have a brew pub, I highly recommend that you go through the exercise of selling the beer in an intercompany transaction. Um, and the way this works, if you use a product like QuickBooks or Xero, is that you're actually going to create an invoice, a sales invoice from the brewery to the brew pub. Likewise, you're going to create a vendor invoice for purchases from the brewery to the brew pub. So you've got AR and AP on different sides, and then you pay them, and that's just kind of, you know, you're clicking the button to pay but it all washes through this administrative account. So the administrative account is used to, number one, clear the intercompany transactions, and number two, to be a holding place for any type of expenses, operating expenses that aren't directly allocable to either business center. So if you look up there, the, uh, the total income and the total cost of goods sold under the administrative column, they're, they're both negative but they wash, right? So it's a negative revenue, it's a negative cost of goods sold, and the net effect is zero, and that is just the clearing account. So what I'm tracking here is if the brewery had sold this beer that we gave to the brew pub, if we had sold it at arm's length, what would that mean for the brewery's performance? If the pub had gotten that, had paid an arm's length price for that product, you know, what would that mean for the performance of the pub? So you don't want to get in a situation where you've got your brew pub buying, recording their cogs of beer, buying it for the cost that it took to produce it, because then you're kidding yourself about the performance of the brew pub. You're giving them like a huge break. And then so this goes into how you're using your financials. If you use your financials as a management tool and you're using it to hold accountable the general manager of your brew pub, then isn't the brew pub getting like this unfair break because you know the the cost of the beer is so much less than if it was operating as an independent unit? So that's why this this stuff is important. Uh, financial benchmarks. So this kind of goes over what we were talking about, but. Um, there are different benchmarks that you'll want to think about depending on how your business is set up. You need to consider your business model. Are you a production brewery? Do you have a brew pub? 
Are you simply operating a tap room? Are you some mix of those three? And each of those are different models, and they're going to have different expected metrics. You know, expect, and what I mean by expected is, um, you know, normal margins are going to be different for each of those, and normal net income is going to be different. The net income in a, in a restaurant environment is way lower than the net income in a production brewery environment. So, uh, you know, you need to kind of change your reporting so that you can cater to the nature of your business. Uh, separate each business model in class or departments, and so that's what I was that's what I was mentioning back here. So administrative brewery, pub, those are three different classes or departments. That's just varying terminology depending on what software you use. Um, management can compare the performance of different business lines to the correct industry benchmarks. And then the idea of capturing the costs at an arm's length pricing. It really is important so that you can hold people accountable for their performance. So the key ratios that I recommend that folks look at, gross margin by brand, and, and I don't have slides of these ratios, but uh, I encourage you, I'm happy to talk about it after this, but I encourage you to look at this information. So gross margin by brand, um, if you have an IPA, a log, or a stout, you want to understand what the margin is for each style of beer is that you make. Uh, average gross margin by pack type, so it's going to cost you more if you put your product into cans or bottles. And you need to, you know, if, if it's cost prohibitive to do that, you're not going to know that unless you're tracking that type of uh, key ratio. Profitability by distributor. Again, this is more of a, a U.S. thing, but if you're using a distributor here, it, it's relevant. Uh, are you making money when you send your beer out of state? So, you know, we see this all the time in the U.S. People get really excited because their beer is going to go to the other side of the country, but the truth of the matter is that they're not making any money on that beer because of the cost of freight. And then, you know, not only is it the freight, but it's the extra amenities of the freight, like sending it cold chain. That is, that's not inexpensive. Um, gross margin of retail sales. So by retail, I mean selling over your own counter and understanding uh, what that looks like for you. And that's always going to be the richest way to sell your beer is over your own counter. EBITDA, EBITDA is earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And this is a key metric because even if you're not uh, interested in selling your company, you should be concerned at how the value of your company is moving over time, even if you're the only stakeholder involved. But EBITDA is a common measurement that's used by investors to uh, see how a business is performing. Net income, so this is like bottom line, bottom line after all expenses. Uh, the difference between EBITDA and net income is that EBITDA really levels the playing field because if you consider brewery A versus brewery B, and brewery A was like, let's say each one needs to raise half a million dollars to start up. Brewery A does that through the founder's deep pockets. So that's all equity. Brewery B does that by uh, borrowing money from the bank. So Brewery B is going to have much more interest expense than Brewery A will. So this kind of levels the playing field and um, takes out you know, different factors of capitalization so that you can kind of see an apples to apples performance. Uh, monthly burn. So monthly burn is payroll, rent, debt service, 
Average operating expenses, not including cost of goods. The idea is if all my sales orders dried up today, tomorrow, how many months could I keep the ship afloat before it tanks? So, uh, and another very similar metric is working capital. Working capital is current assets minus current liabilities, and it speaks to your liquidity and your ability to pay obligations as they come due. So uh, it's, that's a really important one as well. So uh, I wanted to go through a couple practical applications here and just examples of how this approach might be used. So, um, you know, if you want to leverage data to make smarter sales and marketing choices, in my example, you've got one brewery who has two IPAs that are equally popular. They both have the same sell-through rate. Uh, they've got production constraints and can't produce enough beer to satisfy the market. If they don't have information about the cost per brand or the, or the margin by brand, they'll not know that one IPA is more expensive to make than the other one due to ingredients costs because they're using different hops. So with proper data, the brewery makes a more informed decision and uses the limited production capacity to generate the more profitable IPA. The result of that is that more margin drops to the bottom line. Second example has to do with divisional accounting and separation of your business centers. Uh, the idea is that with this, you can drive accountability of the people who are managing those business centers. So uh, the use of transfer pricing is, is what I mentioned about that intercompany sell from the production facility to the brew pub. So let's assume we've got Happy Hour Brewing Company. They've got a production facility that sells beer to wholesale accounts and also has a brew pub with a full menu. They're profitable, but the management feels that the brew pub is underperforming, although they can't quite put their finger on it on why. So without the data of performance by line of business, they'll not know that the brew pub is losing money and is overstaffed. And because they don't have that data, they can't hold the general manager of the brew pub accountable. So the company adopts classes so that management can see the performance of the production facility separate from the production of the brew pub. The brewery begins selling beer to the brew pub at an arm's length price, which results in a more realistic representation of the pub's economics. And the result is that areas of weakness are identified and clear instruction is given to the general manager. Now the brewery knows what needs to be adjusted and they can act on it. So just a couple quick examples of, uh, of how this might play out in real life and how I've seen it play out many times. Um, so that's kind of the sum of it. I, I'm curious um, in the room, how many of you guys work in an accounting or finance function in your company, whether you're the owner or not the owner. Yeah, quite a few of you, at least half of you, yeah. And um, I, I'm just curious, and I really encourage you to have a dialogue with me and we can get the mics going around the room, but I mean, does this resonate with you and uh, are, you, are you experiencing some of these issues of not having quite this, the clarity that you need in your data? Hi there. Yeah, we, um, we have a brew pub and we have different cost centers for the venue and, and the brewery. Um, I guess a uh, learning takeaway for us is on some of the cost of goods, we didn't have most of that stuff in our cost of goods sold. Really, it was just, it was water and, and malt, basically. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think I saw some conflict in your report, though, because when you had your burn rate, you didn't want to include COGS, but in, right. the, but in the COGS, you wanted us to include rent as part of that, which doesn't the, go away if we don't sell anything. Um, yeah, yeah, 
the the so the rent that goes into Cogs will be the portion that's attributable just to the production space. Yeah, I mean the idea is that uh, okay, so it kind of looks at two different things. The monthly burn is sort of how much of a lifeline do I have? You know, like if everything stops tomorrow, how much time do I have in cash to get my act together? Whereas the idea of putting rent in cogs is more of an economic question. So it's less about the survival and more about um, help me understand the true economic cost of what I'm doing. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, but with, that, with understanding the burn rate, I would probably take the rent out of cogs so I could understand what my actual burn rate is to know how long I keep the yeah. lights on. Yep, yeah, yep, yep. I agree with that, yeah. Uh, since the BA in America introduced the, back here, uh, Where are you? The, <laughs> oh, there you are. <laughs> since the BA introduced the COGS manual, have they been, is it too early yet to provide benchmarks for COGS across the industry? Because I certainly know from speaking to Jamie, the chairman of the, our association, mm -hmm. that uh, there's a lack of data in, in the Australian market to provide that. They would like to provide benchmarks to the industry, but again, they have common issues of how do you define COGS. So can you speak to the American example? Yeah, uh, we don't have good data yet. Um, so this just got released in July of 18, I believe, June or July. Um, so A, the timeline is not that, you know, not that long yet. But the bigger problem is access to good data. Uh, I actually just had a conversation with Bart Watson, the economist of the BA, last week. We were talking about this, and they have uh, a survey that's out right now to brewers, and it's supposed to be the economic survey. That's what they call it. Um, most of what that survey hits on are things like gross revenue, uh, net income, uh, and production metrics. And it really doesn't get into the meat of margin. And the reason for that is it's very difficult to get people to give you apples to apples numbers. Uh, I mean, you know, it's exactly what you just said. There's not clear visibility into who's putting what into COGS, even though the manual exists. Even if the manual had been put out 10 years ago, I still don't know that we would be a whole lot closer to having people who can report in a meaningful way. So my, um, my suggestion to that is, uh, is to use tax returns to get that data because at least tax returns have been scrubbed to some degree by an accountant, you know, who, who's going to make sure it's reasonably correct. Um, and, but then the challenge of that is, you know, getting people to give you their tax returns and how do you do that in an anonymous fashion. So it's, uh, that's the idea that I have for getting this data, but we're still trying to get that to play out. Uh, we're going to have to wrap up now. I think everyone in the room, Maria, is going to want to talk to you. So um, are you hanging around? Yep, I'm here. Excellent. Yeah, yep. So here today oh, and tomorrow. Can I, can I say one more thing? Uh, so the book, Small Brewery Finance, i got to <laughs> plug it, out October 7th. Plug it, plug it, plug it. On Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I will right. not, I'll not be here tomorrow, but I am here today. All here day. today. Okay, excellent. Um, can everyone please give Maria a huge round of applause for Thank you. Um, a fantastic presentation. Thank you for coming all the way from, um, from Portland as well. Thank you to everyone at home, at work and on the go for listening to this Brew Pro podcast. If you enjoyed this content, we would appreciate it if you could rate and review the podcast in your app of choice. This helps listeners in the brewing industry find the show organically. If you have any questions, 
comments or episode ideas or just want to get involved, head to our website, bruisenews.com.au. We love hearing from you all.